Welcome to the Expert Roundtable podcast, where we connect frontline clinicians with top thought leaders to facilitate discussion on key issues they face daily. These experts provide their opinions, insights, and commentary on the leading topics and issues in medicine, focusing on specific disease states. Today, I'm joined by three national experts, and we will be discussing anemia and mild dysplastic syndrome, or MDS. First, we have Dr. Andrew Bruner from Mass General Cancer Center. Dr. Bruner, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, it's uh, great to be here today. Uh, my name is Andy Bruner. I'm from Mass General uh, Cancer Center uh, up in Boston, Massachusetts. I primarily treat patients with MDS. And, you know, I'm really excited about the new options that we have in treating this disease. We have an expanding number of ways to approach anemia in these patients. Fantastic. And next we have Dr. Rami Kamrachi at Moffitt Cancer Center. Dr. Kamrachi, would you like to introduce yourself as well? Hi, I'm Rami Kamrukti from Moffitt in Tampa, and also it's my pleasure to be here and uh, echo Andrew's excitement about the changing landscape and, you know, what we call like uh, 2022-23 is the breakthrough year in lower risk uh, MDS with, you know, positive clinical trials. So I'm glad to be here discussing that. Very, very good. And last but certainly not least, we have Dr. Guillermo Garcia Manero at MD Anderson Cancer Center. Dr. Garcia Manero, please introduce yourself as well. Thank you. So I'm very happy to be here with Dr. Brunner and Dr. Conroche. So I'm Guillermo Garcia Manero from the Department of Leukemia at MD Anderson Cancer Center. And I share the enthusiasm about new approaches for patients with uh, MDS. Right now, as Rami said, in those with lower risk uh, disease. So with that, let's get started. We all know anemia is an issue uh, and problematic for patients with lower risk MDS. Let's start with you, Dr. Brunner. Can you tell us a little bit about these new data around loose patercept and where does that fit into the standard of care and how it relates to both transfusion dependence as well as uh, the ESAs, the erythropoietin st- stimulating agents? Absolutely. You know, 2023, as mentioned, was really a breakout year for the development of new therapeutics and low risk MDS. And one such area is how to deal with the first line therapy for patients who have uh, low risk MDS and have transfusion needs. And this summer, the command study presented data comparing loose patercept head-to-head with ESAs in the frontline setting for patients. And this is really the first time that ESAs alone have really been uh, unseated as the uh, first-line treatment. For so many of our patients, we have used these for decades, really, as the first and sometimes only therapy that they would receive in their MDS journey. I think that the commands data provides really uh, important evidence that starting loose patercept early when people are starting to have transfusion needs um, can really improve upon the chance of response as well as the duration of response. Now, there are certain groups of patients who might benefit uh, even more than other groups, but uh, overall, I think this is a real step forward in our uh, disease space and provides a really compelling new therapy that um, allows us to improve on transfusion needs quickly in patients. Fantastic. And Dr. Kamrachi, I know you've published actually specifically in this space as well around some of the kind of nuances around the data and particularly and, and potentially some of the uh, kind of patient subsets and how the data uh, worked out in those different patient types. Can you speak to a little bit about uh, your insights on, on those data? Right. So in particular to the spatter sets? Yes. Yeah, so obviously, like, you know, 
The original approval for losbatter sept was for patients with ring sideroblast after ESA failure. The commands moved that up front, as Andrew mentioned, in, in intent to treat. There was doubling of the response, doubling of the duration. When you start looking at subsets, we see probably a little bit more benefit for certain subsets. So definitely the SF3B1, the RS positive. Uh, what was like, you know, uh, important for me is learning that patients that had EPO level above 200 really had a very low chance of response to ESA, like 12%. I think the controversy or the discussion is really, should we treat all comers with LUSPA or restrict that to the group that had more benefit? So for example, the study was enriched with RS positive patients. So 60 to 70% uh, were RS positive. There were like 40 some patients on each arm RS negative. And the responses there were the same, probably a little bit longer duration of response with LUSPA. Uh, but the question, should we use that for all comers or not? I think that we need to tease out because we don't have also data on like use of ESA after Luspatercept. Uh, but for me, I think definitely the RS positive seems really a very appealing uh, approach to double the responses, double the duration. And the RS negative, maybe we'll select some patients. If I see EPO level more than 200, that probably would make me think of Luspatercept. And we still have to see a little bit more data in my mind in the other subset of RS negative. I agree both with uh, Dr. Brunner and Dr. Conrocki. We have a new, well, not really a new agent. We have a new indication for a drug approved a couple of years ago for low risk MDS. The way the study was designed was really not uh, specifically asking specific subsets or so overall the data uh, is very positive with doubling of response, very significant duration of response actually almost a year. And actually the response criteria was quite uh, powerful because we're talking about increased hemoglobin and the period of transfusion dependency. But Dr. Kamrokje is totally correct. We need to learn more. We need to really understand uh, who may or may not really uh, benefit from uh, uh, this indication. But right now I personally will take this data from the intent to treat uh, um, angle. And I think this is a, really very important uh, discovery for our patients with lower risk uh, MDS. And Dr. Brunner, I know we talked earlier a little bit too about the data and how it relates to decreasing transfusion burden, as well as some of those other endpoints. Can you speak to a little bit about what those data mean and then why that can be impactful for patients kind of long-term? Patients with lower risk MDS, the, the primary uh, symptom that they have and the primary clinical need that they have is uh, recurrent red cell transfusion needs. And uh, uh, over time, that transfusion need will uh, increase um, and uh, results in uh, heart, uh, liver, other organ uh, complications eventually, uh, if just transfused alone. I think that we had not had a lot of options to alleviate that transfusion need uh, in the past. And the big story coming out this year is that there are more options and that you shouldn't just settle on red cell transfusions uh, lifelong for patients. Um, in particular, our treatment options seem to work better when transfusion burden is lower. And so initiating therapy um, when patients have started to develop transfusion needs rather than to allow them to accumulate complications of uh, red cell transfusions, I think is the other big message that we've learned from uh, these agents. So overall, I, I, I view this as having an expanded repertoire of active therapies in this uh, disease. Um, and uh, 
you know, we all have to uh, work with our patients to identify uh, how, what burden they're having from their disease, but we have a lot more ways to reduce their transfusion needs than were available in the past. Anything to add, Rami, uh, as well? We talked earlier about the metal stat. You know, I'd like to get your thoughts on where are the treatment for loose powder steps? What's the future hold and what's the current clinical trials ongoing to kind of tweak out where we should be using it most ideally? And then what are the, some of the other trials that are currently investigating and what are they investigating at what patient stage of the disease journey and, and what types of patients? I know. So, so I agree at first with Andrew that I think, you know, obviously we are making progress and the, we should not be waiting our patients to be heavily transfusion dependent before we introduce treatment because we have option. I think there is cumulative evidence that we've known for many years that patients that are transfusion dependent don't do well, uh, whether that's disease biology or complications, as Andrew mentioned, of the transfusions themselves. And there had been this theme looking at like transfusion independency with correlation with better outcomes. We saw this from studies that looked at lenalidomide in the past. We saw this recently from studies from the medalist that patients that responded have better outcome. So I think the key message I'll get out there is like we should not wait for our patients to be heavily transfusion dependent. Uh, once they have symptomatic anemia or starting to use blood transfusions, we should be intervening or thinking of shifting therapies uh, at that point. I think the spatercept is a great up movement. I think the appeal that it's easily administered every three weeks, uh, relatively low toxicity and, and effective treatment, especially if used in patients that are not highly transfusion dependent. And I think it's going to move up in the front, uh, whether to replace ESA completely in all subtypes of MDS or in a major number of patients. The, but obviously, there will be always some unmet needs after Lispatercept. So where things are moving with Lispatercept, actually moving them a little bit earlier. So there is a planned study called The Element, which will look at patients that are not transfusion dependent. And then there are also efforts, efforts on the other side to combine it with erythroid stimulating agents, because both of them mechanistically work in different stages of erythropoiesis. Uh, so we'll see more data in moving earlier or moving in combination. As you mentioned, there are other drugs in development and probably the one that finished phase three and had a positive phase three and will be in front of the FDA for approval early next year is Mtelistat. Uh, I think that will be probably a second line, predominantly for patients with anemia, particularly high transfusion burden patients. So the drug in phase three uh, showed a promising activity of you know uh, almost one third of the patients becoming transfusion dependent for over a year, particularly in patients that are highly transfusion dependent early also signs of maybe a reduction in the allele burden of some mutations, cytogenetic responses, but it comes with myelosuppression, grade three, four thrombocytopenia, neutropenia, fortunately not associated with risk of fibrinol neutropenia. So I think that will be added to our options, but I don't think it's gonna be our first line. I think we're gonna be moving with drugs like Lispatercept. There are drugs similar in the TGF-beta family. There's a compound called KAR05 that's also moving in that area. So those will be our first line. Drugs like Mtelistat will be in our second line uh, uh, option. So does anyone else have any last thoughts that they you know believe would be important for our podcast audience um, to know about? Uh, I'll kind of just throw it out to the uh, to the group. 
Yeah, I think just the notion, as we mentioned, is just to move to treatment earlier a little bit. Don't wait for the patient to be highly transfusion dependent. And and I think Andrew briefly touched on this point that for a long time, actually, patient did not get any treatment other than ESA. We looked into a registry called the MDS Connect registry that captures data. You know, even patients that were moderate and severe anemia, sometimes we're just on observation. A lot of the patients, you know, only got ESA, and I think now we have other options that we should not be settling for transfusion dependency as the only uh, option or, or thing we can help our patients with. Okay. I, I agree with, with this, and I think you hear a lot of enthusiasm from Dr. Brunner, Dr. Komroki. I think this is going to go step by step. We have no indication for loose patercept. I think, as Rami says, uh, this will eventually, will probably be used for a majority of our patients in the front line, just because, you know, I think in the community really making this distinction, the patient is RS positive, RS negative, you know, this this is actually not really practical. That's something that we have not really uh, discussed this. And then we heard that we have uh, coming um, good second options, but I think Rami said something very important, that is the combinations, because I don't think we need to go and rest because now we have 60% uh, uh, response rate in first-line low-risk MDS. I think we need to become more ambitious, more uh, greedy, if you will, and say, well, can we do this 100%? And indeed, Rami mentioned uh, those uh, data with um, low-dose lenalidomide in Del5Q that actually is giving them responses that are extremely high. So could we replicate that with some combination? So I think that, you know, non-toxic approaches, as he mentioned, ESA plus loose patterns, because they work in different uh, points of erythropoiesis or lenalidomide or actually maybe some new other drug that comes out of nowhere just because we don't fully understand yet how loose set works, right? So we may find drugs that synergize with this. I think actually in the future we will be not in a distant future, in the near future we'll be in a situation where perhaps combination could give us 100% hematological response rate. And again, Rami has presented data that those responding patients live more. And we saw some of this actually with the iron chelation studies, right? Like if you started improving on the kind of like end organ damage that is related to transfusions, patients have less cardiac toxicity, hepatic toxicity, etc. That I think will translate into better survival. And in addition, what uh, uh, Andy, uh, Andy said, you know, perhaps actually the early treatment, either with the single agents or in combinations, will totally abrogate transfusions in this group of patients. I think it's going to be very fascinating to see over the next uh, few years what happens. And, you know, it's going to take a little bit of time because we have these ESAs with us for like 30 years or so, really without formal approvals, but wonderful drugs that really help us a lot. But now we're starting a new dimension. I see a little bit of inertia, like we've done this for so many years, is this so good or not? But little by little, actually, this will be uh, uh, replaced. And the question is, what's going to happen to the disease itself if we start attacking it earlier? We have not discussed high-risk coronal cytopenia of unknown significance, for instance. That's actually the next step here. It may be actually that uh, the three of us need to look for a job. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, no, you know, it's a, it's a really exciting time. And uh, while these are all developed in, with very specific indications in mind, um, they, they expand the number of therapies in MDS tremendously. 
And I would say that in contrast to therapies that are developed in maybe like AML, where ther therapies need to be a little bit more aggressive, uh, a little bit more immediately active, most of the therapies that we're talking about are, are fairly uh, low toxicity. Even a metal stat, we talk about some of the cytopenias, but the in complications from it uh, are, are lower than a lot of therapies that we use in more advanced leukemias. I think a, a very interesting space to see, A, having more tolerable drugs does make it easier to give uh, multiple lines of therapy, especially in older patients. Most of our MDS patients are in their 70s and 80s, and this, that's a real boon. Uh, B, as we learn about it in different spaces, you mentioned a little bit about high-risk MDS. Um, if I've got an 85-year-old with quote-unquote high-risk MDS, but just uh, anemia, you know, starting to explore some of these novel agents, uh, first as trials, but eventually um, in, in uh, different spaces in MDS really gives us uh, a broader uh, number of therapeutics uh, for every patient that we see in our clinic. Lots of, lots of great future conversations to be had. Yeah, <laughs> so I'd also be remiss. I'd also be remiss. Uh, I'd like to thank those of you who listened and watched this Expert Perspectives podcast. We hope that you found this discussion valuable to you, your practice, and the patients you treat. So bye from all of us. We'll see you next time.